You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this mini-sode of Mama's Talking Loud. I'm Jessica Rush. And I'm Kara Cooper. When the shutdown happened, today's guest had just taken her maternity leave from the Tony Award-winning musical Town. She's also been seen on Broadway in Summer, In the Heights, Shuffle Along, Ghost, Motown, the list goes on. As our first guest to have given birth during the global pandemic, she shares what that experience was like, as well as her journey as a biracial woman in our industry. Here's our mini-sode with Afra Hines. to see your face me too oh man you guys Afra and I we did summer the Donna summer musical together and we shared a dressing room Mm -hmm. upstairs we shared the penthouse we called ourselves the penthouse ladies um there were four of us in there it was like cozy and yeah it was super cozy good chats in that room we definitely did well and at the time Afra she got married during the run and so there were a lot of conversations about you know motherhood and pregnancy and timelines and when to do it. And now here you are with your sweet baby girl, Loretta. Will you tell us about Loretta? Yes. So she is five months old and um, she is super sweet. Obviously, you know, she's like laughing and cooing and cuddling and I just, she's the best thing. Um, She's just started eating foods. So that's been really exciting for, for us. And uh, yeah, things are going really well. Moving so fast. I just can't believe. Always. Like she's sitting up now and I, it seems like she just got here. So yeah. Yeah. But changes in the first year happen so fast. It's wild. Yeah. I remember that for sure. And I, so are you sleeping okay or things? How's that going? We're sleeping pretty well. We're doing um, co-sleeping. So I'm not um, like waking up multiple times at night to go feed her. I'm sort of just like cuddling her and we're going back to sleep. So it's really been lovely. That is the best part. Yeah. I remember that, like just nursing and then falling back asleep and then mm-hmm. I know. And cuddling. her hands are the best. Like, <gasps> like she's sort of like exploring with her hands. So she'll be like touching my face and I just love it. Oh, uh, she looks up and smiles at you. Oh, it's the best. 
You're making both of my ovaries hurt right now. <laughs> We've like passed on the baby things, but yeah. man, just to relive those moments, it's yeah. so special. Mm-hmm. Um, you are our first guest that we've had on that's had a baby during COVID. I, I mean, I truly can't imagine what that was like, even just the doctor's appointments leading up to it. And then the giving birth in a hospital during a global pandemic. Can you tell us about how that all happened for you? Yeah. Um, so I took my maternity leave in mid-February and everything really shut down in March. So um, I think I was about five months. I, time is lost on me now, but I think five months-ish. Um, time has no meaning. No yeah. <laughs> so I did. I had, I think, one appointment, doctor's appointment that was virtual. Um, and then I was close enough to my due date where I was back in the office, but they had like, you know, only one person in there at a time and we were wearing masks and like, it was a little strange, but fine. Um, the scariest thing or the, the most anxiety, uh, inducing moment was when there was talk about women not being able to have their partners in the hospital. Mm, I remember so that. I was really scared of that. I, um, I cannot imagine doing that by yourself, especially as a first time mom. So that was when we started looking at other options because we had already picked our hospital and we had our doctor and everything, but I started looking at um, maybe like a a birthing center or something that would allow because they were still letting one person come with you. But anyway, it all worked out because by the time time I was in labor, we were allowed to have a partner and a doula, which made all the difference. Like our doula was fantastic. And, um, yeah, so it was a little strange. I had to do the whole thing with a mask, of course. And like the doctors had full head to toe, um, protective wear on. Um, and my doula had to get tested when we got to the hospital, but both my husband and I had already been tested and had already had COVID. So we didn't have to stick anything up our nose. Thank goodness. Cause it was already dealing with a lot. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wait a minute, Afra, you had COVID yeah. when you were pregnant? Yes. And you know, what's funny is I didn't, so I didn't really feel very sick ever, but I lost my sense of smell and taste. And there were two nights where I had like really intense chills, like scary enough that I like wanted to wake my husband up and like, you know, I, I've never had chills like that. So I was and it. I didn't even think COVID at the time because I think it was in March when that happened. Mm-hmm. So I was more just like, is something up with the baby? Um, but yeah, when I, and I told my doctor about it and even then nobody was like, oh, you should get tested for COVID. Everyone was just like, oh, you're probably just dealing with some little infection or something. But yeah, so I think that's when it happened. Um, and I, and we got tested for antibodies before going to the hospital because again, I didn't want to get and no right. blob in labor. <laughs> so just add that to the list of fun times. Delightful. <laughs> well, so, I mean, I think, to be honest, I think that, I think a lot of people had COVID starting last December. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I know that like Definitely. around our theater and that's probably where you got it. I'm sure. Right. At work. I mean, I have no idea. I mean, who knows? I just yeah. think about when we were all on the subway in February, like packed in. And I had, so I happened to have some N95 masks because I had redone a closet in our apartment. And I remember being like, I think I should wear this, but it was still early enough that if you wore a mask, people looked at you like funny or like you had it or something. So anyways, yeah, I think 
they must have gone through the city like way early. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I believe that for yeah. sure. I mean, there are people that just could not get well. Over yeah. And over over and the over. holidays, I remember that my husband's show too. He's like, nobody's at work. Nobody's yeah. at work. Everybody's sick. And I'm sure yeah. that's what that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, well, tell us, what was it like? What was it like doing Town? I mean, that's a pretty physical show, I feel like, as an yeah. ensemble member. And then you were covering and. Yeah. So it was actually not terrible. I. Um, there was really only one number that I would, I would always get, um, what do they call it? Like fake contractions. Braxton Hicks. Yes. I would get Braxton, Braxton Hicks every time I did one number. I think it was um, limited up on top. And oh, I, I got to that and she's like, no, it's okay. But it was weird. It was a weird experience. And luckily at the end of that number, we get to sit down for a song. Like um, I think Persephone has a mo- somebody has a song. I can't remember. Isn't that the word? Girl, no, girl. <laughs> if we go I- back, we're all gonna have to relearn <laughs> the entire show. Oh my God. No, I've had the same moment. Ooh. I'm like, what's that line that I have? Wait, right. what's that? <laughs> yeah, but um, I got to sit down, so I would sit down and like th- those would go away, thankfully. But it wasn't too bad. But the funny thing is, the very last, the day, my last day before my maternity leave, I was on as Persephone. And I didn't fit the costume, so they had to, I think they went to Macy's and, like, made me a second act costume because I fit the first act, but not the second. I don't know. Anyway, but, yeah. Wow. That was fun. And I also, I I think I'm, like, 99% sure I heard someone. And so Persephone has the opening of Act 2. She has this solo number. And she's like, you know, very interactive with the audience. I'm like 99% sure that I heard someone in the audience go, she's pregnant. (laughs) I'm sure you did. They don't keep it to themselves, those audience members. Yeah. So I was showing a little bit, I guess. Yeah. I mean, with Kara, Kara knows what that is. My God. She was showing by the time she left Jersey Boys. Yeah. Mary Delgado was... And they like we come to the stage there and be like, "Who's the pregnant one?" All the people at the stage be like, "That's me." <laughs> There's no hiding it at some point. No. Um, did you have was it? Were, did you have any kind of sickness or anything? Like, how was it? Was it pretty easy doing the show for you? I had a little bit of sickness very early on, and my boobs are really sore. That was probably the worst thing about it. Um, yeah, but it it was only I don't know like a couple of weeks where I was feeling nauseous, but it wasn't enough to you know keep me from doing the show I did have one show where I almost fainted and that was really scary um but again it was in a moment where the workers are like sort of in dark lighting and we're just sort of waiting we're standing waiting for a scene uh, that's that's so not actory of me to say waiting for a scene <laughs> But you know, when, but it's, when you've been doing the show for a long, anyway, so yeah, I no, that did, is the truth. Lightheaded, and I like bent down to, and I just remember Tim like grabbing my hand, just to, like mm-hmm. see if I was okay. It was so sweet. But, yeah, other than that, it was not. You know, he was all right. I'm so glad. Well, Going back to after, like, you gave birth, right? So during a global pandemic, and you're in the hospital. I know you couldn't have any guests, but even after, how did you navigate? the safety of like introducing Loretta to your family and friends. I've thought about that so much with people who gave birth. Well, just before that, I, we actually, not only was it a pandemic during Loretta's birth, but it was also the curfew. Do you remember? There's like a couple of nights in New York city curfew. So Bradford had to leave. So I spent the first night alone in the hospital, which was like, 
Oh. Rough, way more rough than I thought it was going to be. But he brought bagels back the next morning. <laughs> but my favorite story about that is as he was leaving, there was, I guess, there was a Black Lives Matter uh, march happening and they were meeting in Central Park. And so he came out of the hospital and they were just getting onto Fifth Avenue and he joined the march <laughs> like a couple of blocks to the train station and was like, you know, Black Lives Matter, like as he's walking from the hospital. Anyway, I just love, I love that story. So I had to throw that in here. But I'm sure, I love that. <laughs> but we, she didn't meet anybody until I think uh, she met my mom when she was three weeks old. And we had, my mom wore a mask the whole time. And we, my husband and I wore masks. So it was really kind of weird. Um, but we were still really unsure of like, you know, we still don't know a lot, but we knew even less then. So we were just really um, being extra cautious. And so everybody wore masks and she hasn't met still my husband's family. Um, but we, we have, um, do you guys know Facebook portal? <laughs> I've seen it. You yeah. have it? We have it and we love it. It's, the best because you don't have to hold anything and it's like it zooms in and follows you anyway so we've done a lot of facebook portaling with his family and my family and so but hopefully i mean i'm dying for her to meet you know more of her family also just having the extra set of hands like i know you know after having both my kids as overwhelming as it was to have like kind of a revolving door of people coming to visit was also someone who's like hold the baby for a second while I take a shower or whatever it was at that time. And I know that it's different for everybody right now. We have more people at home, so there's more help intrinsically, I guess. But I just feel like that's a really big difference from when Jessica and I had a baby to now. Well, and, and especially, Afra, your mom lives in the city. I mean, like... Yeah, she lives in New Rochelle, so she's not too far. But, um, but yeah, I think it was... It was hard. She definitely wanted to meet her sooner. Yeah. Yeah. But also maybe there was a little bit of, you know, that first, those first few weeks can feel so uh, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So then there's also the silver lining maybe of just, I remember when Eric and I finally had time to ourselves to just hang out with Elliot. Mm -hmm. That was like the most special, you know? And yeah, so maybe. I remember you talking about that in the dressing room. And I, and I was like, we, we are lucky to have this just the three of us, you know, trying to stay positive. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, we got to find the silver linings and the joy where we can, right. Yeah. During this time. Absolutely. Um, you, so Bradford, was he still working or was he on he, summer break? Um, he was working in, you know, I don't, he was working and then they, sh they shut down. So he started working virtually, um, before the summer. Yeah. So he was definitely still working. Um, and working from home and it was sort of like they were still the school he's a teacher so they were still figuring out um, how they were running things so it was kind of hectic for him and then summer was good because it was uh, he could just be with us yeah. or me and <laughs> until we until we actually he I think he worked right up until like a week before she was born hmm. anyway Yes. So he was virtual and then home and then he's back in person now. Um, but how long that lasts, I don't know. Because I think numbers are going up again. So. Right. But he's going to school five days a week right now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> Figuring it out. I know. I know. I think that schools, I think it's getting, it's getting tricky. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Um, I wanted to, you know, offer, this is you yourself are biracial. Yes. And, um, and then Bradford is white. Yeah. White. Right. Yes. So, <laughs> so, was that a conversation that you guys had at any point? I mean, I think, you know, obviously you were married, you decided to be married, but to bring a child into the world, particularly during this time, I mean, that makes the Black Lives Matter march that he, you know, like that's so poetic and powerful of him, like leaving the hospital of the birth of his daughter who is mixed and then coming into that march. That's really, that's really um, beautiful. But um, was that a conversation you guys had or? You know, we haven't really had those types of conversations, but, you know, there's, I think this time has brought a lot out. And so I think we're, he's sort of like, I'm thinking of, I think it was May 26th when um, the guy in the park. Oh yeah. Yeah. Watcher or whatever. Bird watcher. Yes. So I woke up on May 26 and watched a clip of that. And I, during that time I was pregnant, still very pregnant and I was getting up early in the morning. So I was up, Bradford was still asleep and I watched it and it, I like burst into tears. Like it was really hard for me. And I, I'm not even sure. I think it's like, it, it was not like, sadly we're used to seeing black men be killed but but that was so um it, it was not so obvious like it's not i don't know how to say it i'm losing the words but something about it was like really it just cracked me open and i was sobbing and um my husband came it, it also was right around his birthday and so he came i was sitting on the couch like sobbing and he came out into the living room and I like tried to put on a smile and be like, good morning. And I, I just started sobbing again. Um, so, you know, when things like that happen, we have conversations. And and I think throughout this time, we're, a lot of conversations are happening, but we never, ha- we never sat down and we're like, you know, we're having a mixed child and how are we going to handle this? We have talked about schools and things because, for example, his school that he works at is really not diverse and I it it shocks me still every time I go to visit even though I know like I've been there before but every time I go I'm like wow there's just really no diversity in this school and so we've had conversations like that where I I say things like you know our I want our daughter to be in in more diverse communities um, but we've never like really sat down and maybe it's something we need to do, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds I, like it's going to intrinsically come up. Like you right. just talked about like school, they're going to be, the conversations are going to arise kind of naturally. I, it's so yeah. interesting that you said the thing, you know, like we are, I, cause I'm trying to articulate what you were trying to say about the difference between the violence, like the physical violence we're so used to seeing, which is mm-hmm. abhorrent like that, that, that that is something that is in our reality, but mm-hmm. there was something about that like vitriolic verbal abuse that was happening. That was so disturbing. And, and it's sort of like the underbelly. Like we, we know it exists, but we're not used to seeing, like we're used to seeing the extreme version of this. Yeah. 
and it was just late. It just broke me. Like I sobbed and it's, it, you know, like, I think a lot of people had different reactions to it, especially in the black community. Like some people were just like, ha look at this crazy lady. But it also just like, I don't know. It just really hit me hard. I, I mean, I, I don't understand it from a person of color's perspective, but I understand it from a human perspective to just like witness that, that it's a type of violence, not physical, but that emotional violence almost. I don't know. Well, and I think also to have it happen like in New York city, you know, these people, like we think of our, you know, people say we're in our bubble and, and to a certain degree, I think we are, but that doesn't mean that those people aren't still out there and that that kind of, um, hatred doesn't exist in New York city. Yeah. Um, and in the, and it was in combination with George Floyd. I think George Floyd mm, happened like within a it day. It was right. Yeah, yeah. It was right around the same time. It was time. like too much. And it, yeah, it's hard. Well, I think that that's it. Like you touched on, it has broken open. A, I think a lot of people and it's broken open something within our community and within our, our culture and as it should. And these are very real issues that need to be addressed and that we all need to be speaking out and standing up against. Um, yeah. Have you, you know, as a biracial woman in this industry, for instance, with mm-hmm. Broadway, I mean, how has the journey been for you? Did you, if you wanted, if you were able to speak to it, um, if you're comfortable doing that, like, have you encountered things that, cause I know that when everything first started to come out, I would hear instances like Amber Amon and people would write things and I was horrified that yeah. instances had happened and I had no clue that's what was going on. And that is my white privilege. And I, I completely understand that. And I think about so many of my friends, particularly, you know, the last few shows I've done have been full of incredible women of color, mm-hmm. all colors. And, um, and I don't recall seeing any of that, but I also, I don't look for it. And that was my privilege and ignorance, you know, and now we're in a place where we are more aware. Yeah. Well, it's also like we were before these conversations started happening. We like if if something crazy happened, it would usually be like you would text another black person and be like, "This happened," or like we you you know, or how are you handling this? Or you know, I remember being on a a project where I was having an issue with my hair, which is ridiculous because. I'm biracial. I'm, my hair is, you know, curly. What I mean is like, so for this one particular project, there was a a white woman who had very curly hair and I, and the way that our our hair was dealt with was drastically different, but our, our actual texture of our hair was not super different. But anyway, being on that project, there was, I think three or four of us on a text thread texting each other about it. And so it doesn't surprise me that, you know, our white castmates didn't know about it because it's not something that we would talk about publicly or, you know, and a lot of that has to do with like not wanting to be a problem or not wanting to, um, you know, make people feel uncomfortable. And those days I think happily are over. (laughs) No, for sure. Absolutely. It's so funny you bring that up. I, I remember being in the dressing room with Bosti Monpoint and something, and it, this is fully my ignorance and not realizing this, but that the majority of wig makers and wig designers don't 
know how to design wigs oh, for yeah. women of color's hair and the shape and the and the amount that needs to go underneath the wig and mm-hmm. like the amount of frustration I witnessed from her nightly yeah. on trying to make this wig fit and she's like they don't know how to do it no one knows how to do it and that's a real systemic problem and also because they don't know how to do it they come into the space like on the defense so they're already aggressive and like it, it just makes for a really uncomfortable situation and yeah it's a problem <laughs> yeah i mean i can't in our industry already i feel like we're always so nervous to rock the boat in in kind of any way right like mm-hmm. you you want to be easygoing easy to work with i can't yeah. imagine adding race to that and having mm-hmm. that be a layer that you have to sift through so i'm mm-hmm. i'm hopeful that when we return this is going to be a changed yeah. changed dynamic yeah i hope so for sure have you um i mean i <laughs> Opera is my girl crush, so um, <laughs> she knows that. I just Opera, Opera is so beautiful. I just even before, and I've known her now, and her spirit and her soul is just as beautiful. And I first met you when you were doing Soul Doctor with mm-hmm. Eric, with my husband, which yeah. that I'm sure had some good stories <clears throat> that you could tell with that. But um, you and Vasti were both in there. Yeah, um, yeah. Are you? Um, has it been interesting to you? Did you ever notice because, and I, you're, I don't know how to say this and please tell me what, how, if I'm wrong, but because you are light, you're very light skinned. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are people and particularly people who are older in the community who maybe like, don't, they put things in very black and white. Yeah. And maybe they look at you and they see a white girl, even though you are biracial. And did you notice, have you noticed times where you were treated differently because of your lightness as yeah, opposed to like colorism? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Colorism. Um, I don't know. I mean, would I, would I, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely have, um, I don't know how to, I think that like, for example, well, I have, I think, (laughs) I'm struggling for the words. The question was, have I noticed being treated? Like reverse, yeah, like like instead of being treated um, a certain way because of the black side of your heritage, being treated differently because you are light-skinned and perhaps those people are not aware that you know, I mean, there are such ignorant people who would look at you and be like, oh, well, she's a white girl or. Yeah, I what I have noticed, I feel like casting in particular has looked at me in like. I can I can fill whatever box they need me to fill. Right, right. So You're very like, ethnically if, ambiguous if, is what they would say. Yeah. Right. Yes. But like if. I mean, I've been to many casting calls for shows that end up being a fully white cast with one or two black people. And I feel like there are times when I'm an easy box for them to fill that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like they yeah. they can sort of fill what they think is their quota. 
um, and also not feel, uh, you know, threatened or anything right. by my blackness. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I, I completely, I understand what you're saying. So it's something that I have not, like, I'm still figuring out, like, how I feel about or how I handled this sort of, um, this sort of, you know, I, I just don't know how, like, for example, when I go into a casting call and they're looking for one black woman, I don't know. I struggle sometimes to think, oh, it should be me because I'm aware that if there's only going to be one black woman on stage, I'm thinking of the, you know, little brown girls who want to, who deserve to see themselves reflected on stage. And so then I'm like, well, I shouldn't, I, I should, it should be someone darker than me in this. Visit. So I'm, I struggle with stuff like that. Um, well, and the big issue from the beginning of that is the one black track that needs right. to be. So that, I mean, like from the get, from the jump, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, you know, and hopefully that will be eradicated, but I can, I mean, that's, and I'm tired of the auditions where like, cause it, I, I've been in both. I've been in rooms where it's, you know, a call for black women. So we're all black women. And I've been in calls where it's, it's not, um, it's not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not, they're not saying we're only looking for white women, but you go in and it's all white women. Right. Right. I've been in both rooms and I, it, it feels uncomfortable, uncomfortable to me in both rooms. Um, so I, I look forward to a day when it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, I mean, so many of us do, I would like, I almost said all of us do. And I know that's not the truth because I know there are people who still think differently, but I, I mean, we've had those kind of conversations. I I think, you know, there we're, we're theater makers, we're storytellers. And, um, I, I, I think, you know, I take a page, my dad being a high school theater teacher, he did a lot of, you know, the term he's used for years was colorblind casting. We now know that's not really correct, but he, you know, he would have an Asian kid and a black mom and a white dad and, and people were just playing the roles. Like he wasn't casting based on their ethnic background or the color of their skin or their type, so to speak in quotes. And, um, and I, I look forward to when we return, um, that they're being more thought in that way, that the person who is best for the job, we don't, you know, when they say we need to cast this woman, right. then women of all colors can come in and be seen. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I hope that there, because to me, the real issue is that all of the stories that we're telling on Broadway, <laughs> like even stories, even like black shows are being directed by white men or like you know and I'm not saying that that can never happen but I'm I'm just saying that it seems like every production is written directed you know all the things by a white man and we just need there are systemic root deeply rooted ideas that need to be changed Mm -hmm. and and um you know it even comes down to if this man is directing you know, I had this conversation with Eric about a project and I was like, a man is directing, a man is choreographer, a man is the associate, a man is this, a man is that. And it's a woman's story just even about with gender, you know? And it's like, how dare it be an all male team? And and Eric was like, well, but that's who he works with. I'm like, bullshit. (laughs) You know? And I think that's the thing. We don't, we haven't been thinking that those, that that needs to change even at that base level. 
Yeah. And also like if to me, so I think we're all hyper aware of that now and how dare, (laughs) but, but if we were in a world where there was stories being told by all different um, viewpoints and lenses, then the occasional all male team telling a story about a woman wouldn't be horrible, but it's the fact that it's always an all male team, no matter what the story um, that to me is, is the issue. It's like, it's like that quote, it's the female lead has it right now about it's important for girls to see a woman in the white house right now, but it's even mm-hmm. more important for boys to see a woman in the white house. And yeah. at some point it has to become unremarkable. Yeah. It has to not be a big deal. Yeah. And when we get to that point where it's not a big deal, then having an all male team isn't going to matter or right. having four yeah. men in the white, you know, it's, we have to get to that point where it's unremarkable. Yes. But we're at the very, very beginning. I know. We are at the very beginning. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm all fired up right now. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking about like when we come back and just, you know, it's uh it's it's just interest it's gonna be very interesting. I think it's gonna be a learning experience. I think that people will fall, I think that we will stumble, I think that we will misstep and misspeak and um and I just you know, there's been a lot of conversation on our Tina Zooms about just coming in with open minds and open hearts and yeah. respect for our fellow person and, mm-hmm. and, and learn how to move in this new space with the awareness we have that yeah. um, has been a long time coming and, um, and be able to do it respectfully and allow for all of it. Yeah. So yeah. Afra. <laughs> I I'm, we I don't think we thought we would get into like this, you know, we had a little bit of a therapy right here this morning, yeah. I think, like <laughs> at least, you know, for us, but I think these are the conversations that need to be had. And oh, yeah. you know, I, it's, this is, these are the conversations that are happening and that we need to bring to the forefront and it's people with voices like yours. And I think you have such an interesting and uh, unique perspective because of your background and because you are a biracial woman. And I think um, that whether it's in the business or whether it's as a mother and, mm-hmm. you know, moving forward in life and the, and what you want to, the world you want to raise Loretta in. I think yeah. Who's delicious, by the way. Oh, we got to see <laughs> She's so, so cute. You guys, an offer does not look like a mom of a five month old. Like we're staring at her on the screen right now and she's like glowy and perfect. If you had seen me five months in, I mean, I would have been spit up covered, hair a mess. I mean. I told you she is my girl crush. It's because she I understand always it. like this. She's, I totally understand she it. She is glowing. No, I, mean, I know. Blush. I know. <laughs> No, I, I, I love Offer Hines. You are the thing about Offer. I remember when I told Eric that you were doing summer, he was like, Offer's awesome. He's like, she's just a sweet soul and a good person to have in the room. And that's true. You come in with a smile and a positive attitude and openness. And, and that's why, you know, that's why you're, I mean, the girl's got so many credits. I know. That's why. That's that's why you are a Broadway mainstay. You know, it's just um, and on top of it all, you know, you're a beautiful dancer and performer, and 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 anyone's lucky to have you. So, well, thank you, Jess. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. Yeah, it's been really nice. Yeah, yeah. and snuggle that baby girl, yes. please. Okay. Bye.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. Special shout outs to Rachel Spencer Hewitt for our fabulous graphic, Kristen Anderson Lopez, Bobby Lopez, and Justin Ward Weber for our awesome theme song, our producers Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and of course, the Broadway Podcast Network for bringing us to you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.